Macworld Podcast, number 16, November 30th, 2005. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm your host, Saru Svaravar. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about the Macworld Game Hall of Fame. We've got our own game guru and uh, blogger of the game room on Macworld.com, our own Peter Cohen. We're going to be getting to an interview that I did with him a little later. Um, But first, I just wanted to alert you to the fact that in a couple of weeks, in fact, less than two weeks, we're going to be announcing the first of our annual Eddie Awards. These are awards that are decided by collectively by the editors of Macworld for our favorite products of the year. We've got some stuff that I can't tell you about right now, but if you stay tuned to Macworld.com, starting on December the 12th, we'll be, we'll be announcing our first Eddie's. Also, the next podcast, podcast number 17, we'll be talking about the Eddie's as well, and we'll hope to have an interview with one of our Eddie winners. Also, on the virtual CD, which we have a special URL for that's printed in the first couple of pages and should be advertised on the front of the new upcoming January 2006 issue, we've got a special video with our own lab director, Jim Galbraith, that I produced, and he'll show you some of the differences between different types of digital cameras, ranging from very high-end digital SLRs down to the lower-end, you know, tiny ones that you can fit in your pocket real nice. So also be sure and check that out. All of that, of course, is available at Macworld.com. So we're going to be going now to our interview with Peter Cohen to talk about the 2005 Macworld Game Hall of Fame. Peter Cohen, thank you so much for being in the Macworld podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me, Sirius. So we're here to talk about the 2005 Game Hall of Fame. Can you give us a brief introduction as to how you pick these games? Sure. Uh, you know, the Game Hall of Fame is a, uh, uh, is a is a long tradition at Macworld. We do it every January. And basically it's um, the uh, uh, columnist who writes the uh, Game Room column in Macworld's um, retrospective on the most outstanding games of 2005. They don't necessarily need to be the best games or the highest rated games, just the ones that... Uh, that that we or more specifically I thought were uh, worthy of of plaudits um, when it came uh, time to do our our annual uh, roundup of them. So, uh, not definitely not a scientific poll. You know, this is just one person's uh, perspective on uh, on 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 uh, great games and uh, game accessories. But uh, there you go. Now we we're talking before the show about some of the few ones that you picked. Among your favorites, I think you said among the top of the group, most popular games of this past year was World of Warcraft. Tell us a little bit about what's make, what makes this game so great. Well, World of Warcraft is a massively multiplayer online role-playing game, or MMORPG as it's known in gamers' parlance. That means that um, it's played online uh, specifically. There isn't an offline component that you can play to it. Most of the MMORPGs that have come out have been uh, Windows-specific, or um, if they have come out with Mac versions, like EverQuest, for example, it was relegated to a Mac-only server, so Mac and PC users couldn't play together. Uh, World of Warcraft is a very different animal because the game was released simultaneously for the Mac and PC, like all of Blizzard's games um, have been up until now, and uh, it, it provides a very rich experience for people to... Um, interact with each other, go on quests. There are all kinds of different uh, races like gnomes and night elves and uh, orcs and humans that you can uh, 
uh, assume the roles of, you can uh, create all these different character classes, go on endless quests, and all sorts of other stuff. It costs $50 to buy, although you can find it cheaper if you look for it on sale. And uh, there is a monthly fee involved, as there are with most major commercial MMORPGs. Um, But it's a lot of fun to play, and, you know, it's very rare that I keep a game on my hard drive after I've reviewed it for uh, Macworld Magazine, but World of Warcraft is one of those games that's etched out a permanent place on my hard drive, and I fire it up every chance I get, which is the the hallmark of of a of a game that really has a lot of staying power, which is why it's it's on the game Hall of Fame. Now, that was one thing I was going to ask you about. You mentioned endless quests. If I'm pretty sure, and correct me if I'm wrong, World of Warcraft doesn't really have an end. There's no objective. You just sort of play it, and it doesn't end. I guess the closest that you could say as far as an end to it is that there is a, a limit on the amount of experience that your characters can uh, acquire. They can only get to level 60. That'll change in 2006 when an expansion pack was released, and then you can up it to, ca- to level 70. A lot of players kind of lose, in- lose interest after their characters get to really high classes, but you can do all sorts of cool things with your high-class characters, um, like... But uh, even still, reaching level 60 in World of Warcraft takes how long? Well, uh, you know, it depends on how much you put into it. Some people play World of Warcraft all day and all night and get up to level 60 pretty quickly. For others, it takes months. So, and that's just for one character. You can, you know, have several characters going at once and uh, play them differently. That's what I do. I've got three or four different characters that I play, um... Uh, uh, at, at different times, depending on what my mood is. Sometimes I feel like playing as a druid. Sometimes I feel like playing as a hunter. Sometimes, you know, I'm more in a warrior mood, so I play my warrior. And, you know, it's great. It's great that the game is that customizable that you can really kind of play it however you like. Great. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about something that's totally different from World of Warcraft. That would be the new version of Chessmaster, Chessmaster 9000. What makes this game so great? Chessmaster 9000 is uh, unique because um, it's been a long time since we've seen a major uh, commercial chess game release on the Macintosh. And while Chessmaster 9000's PC version is very sort of Windows-centric, it looks like a Windows application, smells and feels like a Windows application, Feral Interactive really went above and beyond the call of duty here. Most of the time when we get a Mac game conversion, it's just a simple conversion of the Windows version of the product or you know sometimes a console version of the product. Feral invested a lot of time and a lot of effort into making Chessmaster 9000 as Mac-like as possible. Um, they gave it an Aqua interface, they changed around some of its interface elements so it was a well-behaved Mac application um, it's a very big and bulky program. Uh, you know, so it, it will run slow on some machines, but its level of complexity is tremendous. It got our vote for best game for non-gamers because chess is something that appeals to a wide swath of, of users above and beyond people who would identify themselves as gamers. Um, it's also a full-fledged chess mentor that can help you uh, hone your real-world real skills. Excuse me. You can customize your board and the pieces that you play with, and so on. So, uh, very sophisticated uh, chess program, and it'll set you back about forty bucks. It's a great value. Hmm. Okay, and we also have in the list the probably I think the only hardware item, and that is this massive trackball that we had talked about previously as well. Oh, yes. Uh, the, the massive trackball is called the XRK trackball. Um, XRK is a company that makes peripherals that are designed to uh, replicate the experience of playing in an arcade. And the XRK trackball is no different. It is a 15-pound trackball, if you can believe it. And it is wide as 
um, a pro keyboard uh, for the Macintosh. It's just humongous. It's and it has uh, in its center a big trackball like what you would find on an old coin-op missile command game or centipede or what have you. Uh-huh. And um, it also has three buttons on either side of the mouse, so it's ambidextrous. Plus, there are flipper buttons um, on the side, so if you like playing pinball games or what have you, it's great. Where the XRK trackball excels is if you are a quote-unquote old-school gamer like I am. I'm a child of the 80s. And, um, you know, if you like playing emulated games on your on your Mac using, like, Mac MAME or what have you, there isn't a better peripheral for some of these games than the XRK trackball. What I wouldn't recommend it for, for people is people who are looking for an alternative to a mouse. I mean, if you want to get a trackball from Logitech or Microsoft, by all means, go ahead and do that uh, as an actual, like, pointer and cursor device. But uh, if you're looking for something more gamey, this is the one. And this is a pretty substantial investment. Yes, a hundred dollars. So uh, uh, you will be uh, forking out some some serious coin for it for the privilege. But um, you know that's pretty much par for course for for um, uh, a, per- a peripheral that falls into this class. It's it's definitely a niche product. But if you're in that niche, uh, there's nothing like it. Now, would you use the trackball for something like say Jam and Racer, which is also in the game Hall of Fame? Not at all. Uh, Jam and Racer, I definitely recommend a. Uh, a controller like the uh, Mad Cat's PC Con, for example, or even a steering wheel if you have one, because Dan Lab Games, which developed Gemini Racer, um, uh, uh, put pretty decent um, uh, game controller support in here. They, they're using HID Manager, which is built into Mac OS X, and uh, it, it works pretty well in, 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 in my experience. Gemini uh, Racer, by the way, phenomenal kart racing game. If you like Mario Kart on uh, your Nintendo system, or, you know, if car racing games appeal to you, Jam and Racer is fantastic. It isn't the most challenging game in the world, but it is very fast-paced, really beautiful to look at. And what's even better is if you've got another um, companion, friend, uh, relative, whatever, who you would like to play with, um, on the same computer, uh, this game will actually run in a split-screen mode, so you can have a friend or, or whoever um, actually competing against you uh, sitting right next to you in the same room. So it's just like playing um, uh, these games on a console to, to a certain degree. A lot of fun. Um, and is it, similar uh, to, is it similar to Mario Kart in the sense that you can get various weapons and things like that? Uh, actually, there's no weaponry uh, involved here. It's, it's a completely nonviolent game, although you can't bump and nudge um, the other uh, opponents, c- computer-controlled or, or, pl- or player-controlled. Uh, and by the way, there's no online play uh, component. The uh, multiplayer capability is split-screen, uh, side-by-side, on the same computer only. Um, but you can uh, upgrade your vehicle. Um, as you win races or win tournaments, uh, you will unlock new vehicle designs and, uh, and, and new tracks as well, so you can... Uh, uh, going different tracks. It's uh, at $25. It's one of the least expensive products we've uh, got on the list this year as well. Great. And now let's turn to one that, that you had named Game Most Likely to Give You Nightmares. That would be Doom 3. <laughs> Tell us about yes, that. Yes, indeed. Doom 3 came out from Aspire Media earlier this year. Um, uh, Aspire took some criticism initially because Doom 3 ran pretty slowly. Um, on the Mac, but uh, that's because it's a very sophisticated game. In fact, some of the most sophisticated 
3D graphics that we've seen to date in any kind of game on the Macintosh really phenomenally detailed um, special effects with uh, sophisticated lighting and shadowing effects, particle effects, unlike anything we've seen on the Mac before. It's also a terrifying game. This is a retelling of the original Doom uh, by id Software, uh, which puts you on a Martian uh, colony far in the future when they open a gateway to hell and demons come through. Um, and the demons are really horrific and disgusting and, and deformed and whatever, but um, this has got sort of a classic dark ride feel to it. So um, a lot of the time that you spend in the game is spent in dark, dimly lit corridors or corridors with faulty lighting that's flickering and things are jumping out at you, you know, screaming and going booga booga and trying to eat you. Um, and, uh, Sounds like a good time. Oh, absolutely. And what we found out is that in the future, apparently, space marines are too stupid to strap a flashlight um, to their weapons. So you can either look down the corridor at what's about to eat you, or you can fire at it in the dark, but you can't do both. Well, unless you add a mod, actually, a, a third-party uh, uh, program that, that, that hacks that capability into the game. Uh, but despite that, it's a lot of fun. Um, and actually, what we found out is that the game is pretty scalable across a wide variety of hardware. As long as your hardware meets the minimum system requirements, a 1.5 gigahertz or faster G4, G5, um, you should be pretty much okay to play, although your frame rate will vary uh, really widely, and so will the amount of effects that the game supports. But um, even on a high-end system, you're not going to see you know frame rates that, that get pinned at like 60 frames per second. Um, but you will have a very playable um, experience, even on an iMac um, or a faster PowerBook. Great. Well, Peter Cohen also does the Game Room blog, available at macworld.com. And Peter, it was on that blog that I noted, or I read that you had noted that Civilization Three Network Edition will be coming out later this year for the Mac. Yes, and of course, Arus, uh, you uh, posted a, uh, a very favorable uh, editor's uh, weblog on our website about uh, your desire to see Civilization 3 and 4 come to the Mac. So, uh, exciting news. Civ 3 uh, Complete is going to be coming from Aspire, um, and uh, they've also licensed Civ 4. These, of course, are uh, the, the two most recent uh, renditions of, of uh, uh, a... Um, uh, phenomenally successful uh, strategy game series uh, that lets you uplift a civilization from basically the Stone Age all the way to um, uh, a futuristic society. Very complicated. Um, not everybody's cup of tea, but for strategy game fans, it's one of the uh, the cornerstone games of the genre. Um, this is not Civilization 3's first time on the Mac, either. Uh, Civ 3 previously came to the Mac uh, through MacSoft, but... Um, uh, Aspire Media saw uh, that there was a niche to fill here. They licensed it. They actually had to port the game over again, and in a twist of of, uh, of fate, the same fellow who ported Maxoft's version of Civ 3 um, now works for Aspire Media, and he did the whole thing all over again uh, for wow. Aspire Media. Now, the big difference between Aspire Media's version and Maxoft's version is that Aspire Media is selling Civilization 3 Complete, which includes all of the expansion packs, including um, the Play the World expansion pack, which added multiplayer capabilities to Civ 3. That was a real sore point of gamers who... Um, uh, who bought Civ 3 for Maxsoft. Um, they, they didn't have the ability to play online. Now they, they, they will. And uh, Civ 4 will be a complete uh, Mac conversion from the ground up. So we'll be looking for that sometime in 2006. That's great. Well, you and I should get head-to-head in place of 3 sometime when it comes out. 
you know, I'm sure that you'll hand me my butt because uh, I am not the best <laughs> Civ, Civ 3 game, uh, gamer in the universe, but I'm a good sport about it, so sure, I'll, I'll be happy to be humiliated. Anyway. Fantastic. All right, well, thanks a lot, Peter. We really appreciate you taking the time to be on the Macworld Podcast. I am uh, very happy to help, uh, Saroos, and thank you very much for having me. All right. Have a good day. You too. Well, I guess that music means it's time for me to head out. I wanted to alert your attention also to our show notes, which are, again, linked on the Macworld Podcasting homepage. For this show, we're going to be having a special picture that was created by one of our listeners, Patrick Stewart of Denton, Texas. How you doing, Patrick? Patrick was generous enough to create something that I had thought up that was mentioned in one of the previous podcasts when I was interviewing Don and Drew back at the Podcast Expo down in L.A. And I was mentioning to them, it was just sort of a throwaway comment, really, how wouldn't it be cool if somebody made a T-shirt or a drawing of the evolution of all the iPods, uh, you know, kind of like how they have those Evolution of Man shirts and stuff. I thought one of the iPods would be cool, and so Patrick was kind enough to you know, do that for me. He just went out and, I guess, compiled a bunch of images and just put them all next to each other so you can see how the iPod has progressed from the original now all the way up to the new video playing one. And uh, so that's up on our site, and you can check that out. And thank you again, Patrick, for that. Um, if anyone else wants to send emails or comments or art or anything else that is inspired or, you know, something you like, something you don't like about the podcast, feel free to email me anytime. My email address is cfaravar at macworld.com. And we'll have that up in the show notes, of course. And, uh, yeah, just wanted to keep the correspondence going. Signing off from San Francisco, this is Saru Svarovar for the Macworld Podcast.